Well, good morning. Again, thank you, um, Pat, for welcoming us and allowing us to uh, greet one another. And if I didn't get a chance uh, as we were walking around the room to uh, say good morning to you, I just want to uh, say welcome. Uh, we're so glad that you are here. My name is Ryan. I am one of the pastors here at City Church. And um, just so thankful I look around the room and I see uh, many new faces, um, and uh, so we're glad uh, that you've gathered to worship with us uh, this morning. And if you are new with us, uh, we are in a study, we're in the midst of a study in the book of Ephesians, and so we're, uh, as Shonda uh, so eloquently read for us this morning, um, in Ephesians right in the middle uh, of chapter 4. Um, and I'm thankful. Uh, last week, um, you heard, if you were with us, uh, our brother Frank, um, who ministered to us greatly as he um, exposited on Ephesians 4, 7 through 16, sort of the first uh, beginning of that text, the beginning of chapter 4. And through his teaching, we were reminded that we all have a role to play in the work of building the kingdom of God. We have a responsibility and a stewardship that has been entrusted to us to live out what God has called us to. Uh, one of the other neat things about just that practice and what you saw in the fact that Frank taught on that text is you saw one of the key building blocks of this church, of City Church, and that is that um, we are taught by a plurality of elders. We are equipped to do the work of ministry by men who have been called to serve this church. Um, and so this is a perfect time, by the way, for me just to, to highlight and make a note, this is kind of an announcement, I guess, um, that we have beginning next week City Church Connection Class, which is um, something that the words that I just said could have been confusing to you. I said that we are led by a plurality of elders and that we are called to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. And those things might sound a little weird to you, you might not understand what the word elder means, you might not have been in a church that has been an elder-led church, plurality might be something unique. All of those things that might have cued off some like, I'm curious about what he means by that, um, questions that will be answered through our City Church Connections class, or we're calling it for short C4. We're not going to light any bombs or explode anything, um, other than hopefully our minds as we just consider God a little bit together, uh, but we'd love for you to be a part of that class. The other thing that'll happen through that class is that as I look around the room, there are people that, uh, that I know you don't know one another. And uh, we talk often in this church, another thing that we talk a lot about is that we're a family. And so if you don't know one another, then it's hard to be a family. We don't want to just be the distant cousins that show up at Christmas. We want to know one another. We want to spend time together. And so this class will be a great time for you to meet other people. So we say sometimes that if you're newer to the church, that this would be a class for you. But I really wouldn't even, I'm going to cut off the newer part. If you don't know people in this church... You need to come to this class, you're going to spend a few weeks together, and you're also going to grow in your understanding of just who we are as a church, what God has called us to. And so, um, join us. Next, uh, beginning next Sunday morning, uh, 9 a.m., is that correct? 9.30? No, 9.30. Thank you. Uh, 9.30 on February 9th. We will have child care available, by the way, okay? So join us next week. But anyhow, we're back in Ephesians. We're in this study of Ephesians, and... Um, the text that uh, has preceded where we're at in Ephesians chapter 4 is Paul really is beginning in chapter 4 to teach us what life should be like, how we should go about living the Christian life. The first three chapters of Ephesians are really all about identity, and you even see behind me on the screen, it says Ephesians that we may know and live. 
And the reason that we put that subtitle in there is that the first three chapters is that you might know who you are. That we together might know who we are in Christ. That we could be corrected in our thinking a little bit. That our, our minds could be adjusted to rightly see who we are in Christ. And then the back half, that now that we know who we are, that we might live accordingly. As I said a couple weeks ago, one of the greatest hindrances to the Christian faith and to our witness in this world is that we claim to know a lot of things about God. We profess to believe things about God. We profess to uh, be believers and to trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ, but we don't very often or not near as often as we proclaim that do we live according to that identity. And we need to live out that identity every moment of every day of our lives. But Paul is going to explain to us, and really as we open up what Shonda read for us, Ephesians chapter 4, 7 through 20, or 17 through 24 this morning, we're going to see this is a bit of a struggle. It's something that we have to wrestle with. See, Paul in the verse 1 of chapter 4, he says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. That's the beginning. Then he takes this little sort of side jaunt, which is where Frank went last week on talking about the body of Christ and how he's given us the church to help us to do that. And now he comes back and he gets back to the point of where he began, this walking in a manner worthy of the calling in verse 17. He's said, you need to realize who you are and because of who you are, live that out. You have a church that's been given to you to help you do that. And you've been given to one another to help one another do that. Now let me explain why this is a struggle. And so he gets back to verse 17. Now this I say, I testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do. Now this is interesting. That he tells the Ephesian church that they must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. The funny thing about this statement and if you've read this before, you might have even, if, uh, per, perhaps you read that and you got a little bit confused. Because this letter is written to Gentiles. The Ephesian church was not a church made up primarily of Jewish people who had converted to Christianity, believed that Jesus was the Messiah and began to follow him. This church were people who were outside of the Jewish faith. Outs they were not Israelites. They were Gentiles. They were the opposite. They, were non, they weren't God-fearers. But here he says to the people that make up this church, don't walk as Gentiles do. Essentially, he says, don't be who you are. Don't be what the world calls you. Be something else. Really what he's saying is don't be who you once were. Walking as Gentiles did. Walking, or excuse me, walking as Gentiles do. That's what you once were. In the, the way that he says this in verse 17, that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do, he is describing to them that they are something new. They are a new creation, and the old has passed. Yes, they were Gentiles, but through faith in Christ, they have been made new into something else, and now they're not to walk and live their lives according to the structures and the context that culture has placed upon them, that this is how Gentiles operate and live, and this is just what they believe in, this is how they practice their life. They're now supposed to do something different. They're supposed to, as he said in verse 1, 
walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which they had been called. Now, the fact that Paul has to exhort them in this statement of saying, no longer don't walk as you once did. Don't be the old people who you were before Christ. That demonstrates and illustrates a point that we live in a constant struggle. It's a battle daily for us to not live out our flesh and the things of the desires of our heart. That's why, by the way, this gathering of the saints, spending time together as a faith family, is so vital to my soul. I need each and every one of you. That's why Paul talked about the body of Christ before. I come here. I know many of you might assume that I'm here because it's my job. It is, in this particular context, my job, but if it wasn't my job, I'd still be here. I don't know how to tell you that. Because I need this. I need you. I need to be encouraged. I need to be reminded of who Christ is. I'm desperate for Jesus every day. And this body, this gathering, helps me to walk in obedience because it is a struggle. I'm tempted every moment of every day to walk as the old self, to forget who I am now in Christ. But he says, we don't live as we once lived. Don't be the world you see. Don't be what the world says you are. No, Paul says, be who Christ has said you are. Your identity matters. Now, this is somewhat challenging for us to get a concept of, this newness. I think one of our biggest struggles in the North American context of Christianity is this idea of new life and transformation. It's hard for us to see that. Because most of us didn't grow up like these Gentiles. The Gentiles that Paul is writing to in Ephesus, they can remember very vividly, most of them, a time when they worshipped as pagans. They did things that were completely contrary to the way God would have called them to live. They didn't worship like we worship this morning or like they were then worshiping in that moment. There was deep divide and contrast by the way they lived their life. See, we didn't grow up, most of us, I would say, in this room. I know some in various forms, but we didn't, for the most of us, grow up watching or participating in pagan worship. One of the common graces of being born in this country is that there has, for the most part of our history, been this heritage kind of woven in. Most of us... In fact, I would say many of us would have grown up at least somewhat familiar with Christian worship. Again, we might not have participated in it. It might not have been how we lived our lives, or our family might not have been a part of that. But we at least were familiar with it. The terminology and some of those things, they, they weren't completely foreign to us as a whole. We have a hard time, I believe many of us, remembering when we didn't believe in God. Now, I'm not saying that we believe the gospel. I'm not saying that we understood who Jesus was and all that he did. But for the most of us, we have a, it's really hard for us to remember a time where we didn't at least acknowledge God existed. Even more, we, there's a t- it's hard for us to remember a time when we didn't believe or that we had not heard, at least heard, the name of Jesus Christ. Again, might not have believed who he was. Might not have believed in his message. But these things have been so wo- woven into our culture 
that there is just sort of this expectation. They don't really shape us because they're so common to us. And so, when we read that we're no longer to walk as Gentiles as we once did, we are kind of having a hard time figuring out, well, what does that look like? Because I've sort of grown up most of my life believing in God, most of my life at least acknowledging that Jesus was a person, He was real, most of my life, many of us attending some form of a worship service on a regular basis, and so there's not much to contrast for us. Well, Paul, thankfully, he explains this in just a moment. But this is an illustration that might help us grasp this. We spent just a few days this last week, many of our men in our church, on a ski trip. It was awesome, by the way, men, last weekend in February. I just would encourage you to put that on your calendar for next year. But Pastor Chad from our sister church in Frisco, he used this illustration during one of our teaching times, and it just really paints the picture for what Paul or what we deal with, I think, in, in our own lives. I want you to imagine, just think about when you walk in your home, here's what happens. When I get home, I walk in the door, I hang my keys on the little clip on the light switch, I go in and I place my bag in the chair, I walk to the right to the front door, I look for my Amazon deliveries, I shut the door and then I come back in, put the box on the counter, walk into the bedroom and see if Laurel or any of the kids are around. What's up? Hey, that, that's what I do. And guess what? I do all of that without ever thinking about anything. I navigate all of those moving pieces of my house without thinking about it. And this is very often how we think and we sort of encounter God. We don't ever acknowledge, we don't really realize all of the things that God is doing in our lives. We just move through life completely unaware of His presence, of who He is, of what He's done. And that's all because that's just how we've been, again, for the most of us, in this country, very often how we've just been raised, just sort of aware of this, just God is just sort of out there, and we've just by osmosis almost. But when we come to faith in Christ, Jesus says, God's Word says, that we are made new. We are given a new identity. And so, even though all these things seem so common to us, there is, for the believer, a transformation, something new that comes. And this is where we're going to see in the following verses this description of what it looks like to walk as Gentiles do and the life that we are called to not live, to live in opposition to. He continues in verse 17. He finishes this statement. Now I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And how is it that they walk? They walk in the futility of their minds. The word futility or futile in the New Testament is often connected, most often connected to idolatry. And I love the way the Bible does this. He, God says through this text that we're to not, uh, no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. When we think or use the word futile, it means worthless or a waste of time. I'll give you an example. Expecting the Cowboys to win under the leadership of Jason Garrett is an exercise in futility. <laughs> do you get the definition? It's worthless. It's a waste of your energy. Don't do it. All you're going to do is get some clapping. <laughs> That's what this word means. When we worship idols, when we turn and look and we exercise the futility of our minds before Christ, 
It's, an ex, it's a waste of time. That's what this word, when he says futility or futile, he's describing idolatry. Essentially saying, your worship of those lesser things, you're following those small things, those little g-gods, they will not do anything that brings you everlasting hope. They will not do anything that brings you joy. And so when we look for something that only God can give, joy, hope, peace, a future, adoption, from people, places, or things that God never intended us to look to, we are living in the futility of our minds. That's what it looks like. Looking and expecting the things of God to come from someplace else and to really to come from His creation, the small things of this world. This is what Paul is describing in Romans chapter 1. And this is helpful as we try to really understand what it looks like to walk in this new life in Christ. This is what Romans 1 says. It won't be behind me on the screen, just if you want to make a note of this, Romans 1, 18 through 25. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. Now I'm going to pause right there. What Paul is talking about here to the Roman church is he's describing the few people living in the futility of their minds, looking for things of, from God, from things of the world, and then denying that God even exists. And he says to them that they can, there's, there's no excuse for trying to deny God because you can see it in creation. We would say, we could even add on to that, those of us that have born, again, been born in this country and live most of our lives in a, a Christian culture, I put that in quotes loosely by the way, but a Christian culture of some sort, is this idea that we've had so many things that have talked to us about God. God has just sort of been out there. The idea of Him, the idea of Jesus, the idea that there is something other than us available. We have no excuse, and yet, in the futility of our minds, we look for all hope, joy, sustaining life, all these things from things of the world. But it, I, Paul continues, so they are, all of us, who deny God even though we know He exists, are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is the blessed who is blessed forever amen that's Romans 1:18 through 25 he's saying they became futile in their thinking because they worshiped the creation they idolized the things of this earth rather than rightly worshiping God. When we mistake creation or the gifts of God's kindness to us as God's, little g, we are practicing futility. 
We are not living in the identity that we have been given as new creations in Christ. We are worshiping something that should never have been worshiped. And we do that every day as a struggle to fight against that. One scholar said it this way, wrong lines of conduct follow from wrong ideas about God. The reason that we make the mistakes that we make, the reasons that we don't do the things that we wish we would do, is because we don't rightly understand who God is, and we don't rightly understand who we have been made through Christ. When we rightly understand God, conduct flows out of that. Parents, there's a truth in this statement as well that is good for us to remember. We can try and correct conduct all day long. We can try and course correct and move things around in our, our children's lives in order to, to, to create an outcome that we think will be best for us. But wrong ideas about God and who He is will automatically lead to wrong conduct. So if we want to correct and lead our children in the way of the Lord, we teach them who God is, we teach them who, how much He loves them, we lead them to worship Him, and when they worship God, activity will follow. Right conduct will follow. That's the truth for every soul in this room. But so often when we think of our kids, we try to shape and do all of these things to correct, and we ultimately we end up with moralism. I have a good son a good daughter. You know what's better? A righteous son, a righteous daughter found in Christ who then lives out their faith accordingly because that lasts forever long after I have the ability to hold my thumb over them, long after I have the ability to say no, 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 and put up all the walls. That's what happens. And so for us, when we Every single soul, I'm not just talking to the parents or the students here any longer, every single soul in this room, when we understand who God is rightly and our identity in Him, Ephesians 1 through 3, chapters 1 through 3, then we live out and we are no longer going to walk as the Gentiles do. So, for those of us that have a hard time seeing this contrast, let's just see what Paul says. What does God's Word say the futility of mind looks like? What does it lead to? This is what he says. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That's what it looks like. Darkened, alienated from God, ignorant, hardness of heart. That hardness of heart, by the way, that's no moral compass. We don't see right and wrong. We're callous. We don't even experience the joys of life. We become hardened to it. We're given over to sensuality. We are greedy. Impurity just clouds our minds. That's what the life outside of Christ looks like. When Paul is saying, don't, don't walk any longer as you once did as Gentiles, these are the things that you once did. And guess what? In that list, and I didn't cover everything, but every one of us, I guarantee in this room, is found somewhere on that list. You are not without excuse. We are all found, and I am found in this list, darkened in understanding, alienated from God. I was ignorant. My heart was hardened, given over 
to sensuality and greed. Those things describe every single one of us. So although you might not be able to remember a time when you didn't acknowledge God as God, and you didn't, don't really remember a time when you didn't understand or know at least who Jesus was, there was a time in your life when that list in some form or fashion described who we were. Which is why when we sing, my one defense, my righteousness, that's why I said I, I have no defense to God because that list describes me. The only defense I have is Christ, what he has done for me and in me. So while our cultural contest, unlike the Gentiles, they could see this past experience that they once lived in, ours might not be so great. We can see that without Christ, that list describes us. It's where we were headed. And we know this is true. You want to know why I know that that's where I was headed? Because even with Christ living in me, that list describes the temptations that I face every day. So I know that if, if, those, were the t- if those are the temptations that I face, and even I'm sometimes able to stand up against them, if I have Christ in me, so without Christ, you take Christ out of the picture, where do you think I'd be going? I'd be going full steam ahead toward those things. So when I have to think and wonder, I don't really remember a time, God, when I can contrast who I once was to who I am now in Christ. I do know that what your word says about me is true because even though I have you living inside me, I am guided by your spirit, I know that the moment I step down off this stage, something in that list is going to pierce my mind and I'm going to be tempted to go away from you. Without your grace in my life, that is where I would be headed. Full steam ahead. And that's every single one of us in this room. None of us are immune from that. That's the sinfulness. That's our flesh. This is the grace of God that we have received. That we have been, my hope, made new. So that that list no longer describes us fully. Yes, we have these temptations. But we now look differently We now are people who can walk in the way that we have learned, Christ. We can look more like Him. By the way, brother and sister Christian, this is why we don't look at our non-believing friends, those who don't know Christ, with judgment and condemnation. Because we realize that without Christ, that's where we would be headed. And so our hope and our prayer for them is not, and we don't look at them wrongly and in judgment and saying, look at the way they live their lives. Look at the words that they say. Look how they do this or do that. We don't look on them with judgment. We look on them pleading that they would know Christ because we realize that without Christ, that's exactly where we would be going. That's exactly who we would be. We face those temptations every day. And so what we do is we recognize that it's only the grace of God that has made me alive, that has made me who I am, not falling down this path of futility. And if you don't know Christ, here's what I, I know because as I just professed, this is who I am, this is what I dealt with. You know those things plague your life. You know those things mark who you are. You know these things have been small gods to you. You've worshipped at the foot of production, performance, achievement, money, greed, sensuality. 
And what I hope and I believe that God is saying to you this morning, you don't have to any longer walk in that way. Through the power of Christ, you can be made new. And yes, we'll continue along this path, struggling along, but we can have the hope of Christ because we will receive His Spirit. And as Paul says, we will learn from Him. And as He teaches us, we will grow up. We will look different. That's what he says in verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ. And he puts this little caveat, assuming that you learned from Him. Again, he's, this letter is being read aloud to a church. And more than likely in this church, there were some that had not been made new. They didn't, they didn't know who Jesus was. But he says to them, assuming that this is what you learned, this is not how you were taught by Him. This is not the truth that is Jesus. What Jesus taught you is a different way. And Jesus taught you to put off the old self and to put on Christ. Jesus said in John 10 that he came to give us life and to give it in abundance. And so when we were taught by Jesus, not taught by the culture that just acknowledges God in some form or fashion, not taught by the culture where you heard just of Jesus kind of walking in and out of church periodically as you were growing up, but when we were truly taught by Jesus, guess what he gives? He gives us a new life. We are created brand new. The Bible says that our heart of stone is taken out and we're given a heart of flesh. And within that heart of flesh is contained His Spirit, and His Spirit leads us to live out the way of life that leads to life. Who is Jesus? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing there is no law. That's Galatians 5. That's how we were taught to live. And do you want to know the truth? Not one of those things comes natural to me. Now, if you know me, you know, I, you might say, hey, Ryan's a pretty nice guy. Ryan is generous with his time. He'll talk to a wall, so he'll talk to me. He's all right. But none of that is natural to me. I'm not patient. I'm not gentle. Only periodically do I have self-control. But the Spirit of God at work in me has been teaching me day by day, month by month, year by year, for over 20 years. So that what you know of me today, I display a little bit more love. I am that much more patient. Kindness comes a little bit more naturally to me because of my mom. I am a little bit more gentle. Laurel's still helping me with that one. I have just slightly more self-control. That's the Spirit of God who has given me a new heart. And that new heart is what I try to live out. And as Christians, this is what Paul says. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self. He says you have to let go of the old ways. You have to acknowledge that there is an old way. There is an old self 
that is constantly battling against who you've been called to be. And you have to put on the new self. You have to remember who you have been made up in Christ. See, the desires, one of the things that we learn when we're given a new heart is that the desires of the old self are deceitful. They lie to us. How often have you thought that this thing, this activity, whatever you could just fill in the blank would be good for you? And in the old self, you would say, yeah, this is awesome. This is, I'm, I'm achieving. I'm doing exactly who I, what God's created me to be. But now in the new self, you have this caution. You have this tension that exists. And you recognize that when you kind of come face to face with whatever that temptation, whatever that idol in your own life might be, you realize it. You see it. But does it tell you, hey, I'm an idol. Like, I wouldn't worship me, but, you know, you, you probably are anyway. Is that what it does? No. You're supposed to answer no, by the way, there. You can talk back in this church. No, what the idols do, what, they do, what do they do? It's okay. You'll be all right. This is going to be awesome. This is so good. You'll never have it better. Imagine what you could be. Imagine what, what it might look like. Imagine what the world might say of you. Lies whispering in our ears, lying to us time and time and time again, tempting us to believe that that old self that God has said put away will bring satisfaction, will bring hope, will bring all the things that only God can bring, things that can only come from Him. And we're called to put that on and remember who we are in Christ and the gift of His life. And what does He say that this leads to? And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You want to know what happens when we put on Christ? And we live in, the, in the, that new identity that we've been called to live in. He says we look more like God. Now, the Bible says, let me bring this full circle for you. The Bible says in Genesis that we are created in the image of God. That we reflect God's character, the attributes of who He is. When He created man, the reason that we are superior over all creation, the reason that God set us over all creation is because there there is something in us that resembles who He is. When we look at one another, we see image bearers. The reason that we love unconditionally, by the way, is that when I look at you and you and you, despite whatever might be going on in your life, you're an image bearer. You bear the image of God. That means you're special to Him, that you are uniquely created for Him and by Him. But then sin enters the world. And when sin enters the world, we no longer, and this is why we don't see ourselves, we don't see the image of God so clearly any longer. It's like the mirror is cracked. I don't know if you've ever looked in a cracked mirror. I'm sure some superstition says we're not supposed to do that. But I periodically just found, I've been in a room or whatever, and there's a cracked mirror. And when you look in a cracked mirror, you can still see your own image. You can see yourself, but you don't see yourself rightly because sin has marred the image. The the mirror has been cracked. And so when we look, because of sin, 
we don't as clearly reflect that image of God any longer. But here's the miraculous thing. Here's the good news of the gospel, friends. When we believe in Jesus, when we put our faith in Him, and He takes out that heart of stone and gives us a new heart of flesh, and we cast off and say, I'm no longer going to live according to the old self, again, I'm going to put on the new self, we begin to more and more reflect again the image of God. We reflect His righteousness and His holiness. We take back the identity that we were given in the garden. It's given back to us who God created us to be. And so we're called to daily put down and say no to the lies of our flesh and to be renewed by His Spirit and to put on Christ day by day so that we look more like Him. And the result of the fall, sin begins to loosen its grip on our lives. We began to look more righteous and more holy. So how do we know even in this context where we don't see as clearly like the Gentiles did the old life compared to the new life? How do we recognize if we might be following just some form of faux Christianity rather than following Christ and having been made new to Him? We ask ourselves, do we live, do we feel like we are living in futility? Are you darkened? Are you alienated from God? Are you callous to the ways of God? Do you walk in this room week after week after week and just, I'm here, but not really here? I would caution you. I would invite you to believe that perhaps you're living out of the flesh the old way. And God has said, I've come to give you new life. If that's you, believe in Jesus this morning. Receive His Spirit. Receive that new heart. Or conversely, perhaps, and this is my hope for us as a church, that we rightly reflect an image of righteousness and holiness. No, not perfectly. I just told you, I'm going to step down here and I'm going to mess it up. But more and more, hour by hour, day by day, month by month, year by year, I am putting on Christ. And He is filling me with His Spirit. And I am walking according to that new life in Him. And by His grace, because only of His grace, I am reflecting some bit of righteousness, some bit of holiness to a darkened world. I'm taking that light from Him into the world. That's who we are called to be. Brothers and sisters in Christ, put off the old self. Do not listen to the lies any longer. Believe who God has said you are through Christ. Go read chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians every day this week until you get it in your head who Jesus says you are. And because of that, live that identity out. Live it out as He makes us more and more into the image of His Son, righteousness and holiness. Let us pray. Father God, I thank You so much for this Word that brings deep conviction to my soul, that reminds me who I once was, reminds me how far off I once was. 
Jesus, you know more than anyone ever could the darkness of my heart, the ignorance that I once walked in, the impurity of my thought. That is who I once was, but by your mercy, Jesus, you have made me new. And that's what I profess this morning. That's my confession. That's my testimony that you've made me new. And by your spirit at work in my life, you have given me a new heart. And so my friends in this room now sometimes see a man who loves well, a man who's filled with joy, a man who has peace about the future, a man who is kind and shows goodness to others, a man who looks faithful and every once in a while is gentle. All of that is only because of you, Jesus. So I pray for my friends in this room that they would, by your spirit, put on that new self. Help us to be marked by those traits. Help us to live as we learn from you, Jesus. Let that be who we are. And we ask that you would do that, yes, for our own good, for our future, because you are for us. You are good. But we also ask that so that you'd be glorified in this community, in this city, in this faith family. Let us reflect your righteousness and holiness. That's never going to come from within. That only comes from you, Lord. So we need your help in that. Help us, Jesus, for our good and for your glory. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the preaching of God's word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sundays at 1030 a.m. at 2950 Cardinal Drive, and we'd love to meet you this coming week. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.